G'day and welcome to The Bell Lab. This is Grandstand's dedicated track and field program. Today we'll hear what goes into hosting a high-performance track and field meet. Our Grandstand Rewind will focus on the great Herb Elliott. But first, we're going to review last Saturday night's Perth Track Classic, the first stop on the Australian Athletics Tour as part of our run-through segment. And joining us to do so is David Robertson, who was in the West at the weekend to co-host Athletics Australia's live streaming of the Perth Track Classic. And Robbo, we'll jump straight into it. The Perth crowd, they they missed out on the much-anticipated showdown in the 100 metres between Sally Pearson and Mel Breen when Pearson wisely withdrew due to a hamstring niggle. She did compete in the 100 metres hurdles and a season opening 12.59 into a slight headwind. It's just just what the Olympic champion would have wanted ahead of her defence of the world indoor title she won two years ago. Yeah, exactly, Luke. I think, you know, of the 4,000 plus strong crowd that was there, I don't think anyone went home disappointed with what they saw and and Sally's race was the second on the card on the night and... uh, that performance, 11.59, to see her face. I was only about 20 metres from the finish line as she crossed, and to see her face and the way she reacted to that win and to that time was just quite something else. And the, and the crowd just, you know, really uh, stepped it up um, in their excitement levels. And, you know, she said afterwards um, about, you know, she's got a new coach on board now. Um, she's been feeling great, but she just needed that performance in the bag, and it really sets her up now for um, a big showing over there to defend her 60-metre indoor title in now, Robbo and Solis Moss, they had the chance to speak to Pearson after her race, and this is what she had to say about her impressive performance. You know, changing coaches and, and not really knowing what, what I'm going to do in the first season with running with him, but it just shows us tonight that we're on fire and we're ready to go to shake up some feathers. After that race, I'm so glad I got my first 100-metre hurdles out of the way, and Everyone knows, whoever's a hurdle, everyone knows how scary the first race always is and you always want to get it right and I definitely did that tonight. Now Robbo Pearson's absence meant Breen had little competition in the 100 metres and she safely posted a victory with an 11.31 despite a restart following a mishap with their starting blocks. It was a solid run from Breen but no doubt she would be determined to get back down around that national record mark of 11.11 at some stage during the uh, rest of the Australian Athletics Tour. Yeah, that's right. It seemed early on that her only, her main competition was a set of stable starting blocks, and uh, she, uh, through sheer power, I think she just she managed to displace them at the start. Luckily, it was restarted. Uh, but no, she was really happy with it. That's her third A qualifier. She was a bit unsettled, she said, as a result of that split, but came through with a strong win. Um, Ashley Whitaker in second, and Toya Weasel from Papua New Guinea in third. So interesting to, to note we had a chat with with Mel afterwards, and she's re-established her goals now for the Glasgow Commonwealth Games. Well, Breen, as you said, gave up her time after a win in the 100, and this is what she had to say. I was very worried because I could see everyone running off, and I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, but then the second gun went, and then someone stood on my block, so it was fine then, yep. but I was just, I was feeling quite nervous after yeah. that, so I'm really happy to run another A qualifier. Yeah. Would have loved to run a bit quicker, but um, definitely another A in the bank is just awesome. 
Now, one of the star attractions in Perth was reigning world champion LaShawn Merritt in the 400 metres, and, and he took care of business with a, a, a casual 45.90. It was a stroll in the park for the American who will return to Australia later this domestic season. But, Robbo, what an opportunity for some of our younger one-lappers, such as James Command and Stan Baird, to just get this chance to compete against the Olympic and, and world champion. Yeah, it certainly was an awesome experience for those guys. And watching the take back, you can just see that you know they're, they're almost pinching themselves to be on the start line with someone as great as Merritt. Don't get me wrong; he had a he was there to, to have a serious hit out. It's the earliest he's raced in the season before, so he was a bit, I guess, out of his comfort zone. But you know, he's really enjoyed being down here in Australia. A great run. He was he was comfortable all the way, and to knock out a forty-five, he was definitely happy. Uh, Burns in second, and, and Offerman's in third. You know, he easily accounted for those guys. But uh, he's, gone, he's gone home now for a bit more block of work and we'll see him again at Sydney and then in Melbourne. So uh, he'll sharpen right up and we might even see him go uh, low 45s and even less. And Merritt found time after his victory to reflect on his early season appearance in the 400 metres. I haven't ran in, what, six, seven months. You know, so I just wanted to get out good, uh, fill the competition down the back stretch. There was a little more win than I expected. But it felt good. I wanted to come home and finish strong. And uh, that's what I did. I didn't want to roll back too much and, and, and stay tight through the abdominal and finish the race up strong. So I'm pleased with that. Now, another event, Alana Boyd cleared the A qualifying mark in the women's pole vault to win with 4 metres 55. Kim Mickle took out the women's javelin with a 63 metres 37 with Kelsey Lee Roberts edging out Catherine Mitchell for second with another A qualifier of 61.99. And Chris Dodd won the men's high jump with a PB of 2 metres 23, winning on countback from Brandon Stark. Robbo, you had the chance to speak with Dodd, and this is what he had to say about his win. Very stoked to get the 23. Um, I was feeling pretty good in the warm-up, so um, I was pretty confident I had it in me. Looking ahead to Glasgow, obviously the 228 is in your sights, mate. You're building nicely at the moment, but you'd love to get that 8 in the bag. Yeah, mate, I'd love to get the eight. Um, the 23 felt pretty comfortable last night, actually, and I was, I was really keen to have a crack at the 26, but um, just over the years, I've had too many injuries, and my heart, my heart was telling me to go for it, but my head was saying, don't rush it. So, yeah, there's plenty of time. There's still a couple more comps before nationals to, to get that. So, um, yeah, building up nicely. And no Nick Bojic there last night, the big man of, of world track and field, but you had Brandon Stark pushing you along. You must be really enjoying that that competition from the, the other boys in Australia. Yeah, the camaraderie between the high jump boys is really good. Um, Brandon was the first to congratulate me when I jumped 23 as well, so uh, it's really good jumping with those guys, and it was a shame Boyage couldn't be there, but Brandon's just as good a competitor, so I love jumping against him. Chris Dodd speaking there. Now, Robbo, Joshua Ralph impressed you with his win in the 800 metres with a B qualifier of one minute 46.25 to beat Jeff Risley and Alex Rowe. He, he's just been in outstanding form so far this year. He certainly has. And, and since uh, his first ever 800 metres at Zadapec in December last year, he's now gone on to run three 800s and three PBs in each start. So I think he's found a new home in the, the two-lap event and uh, only very narrowly missing the Commonwealth Games A qualifier of 146.20. Um, yeah, pushed you know Risley all the way. And it, we weren't sure where Risley was up to with his form and fitness um, but you know that's a great scout for him to get and yeah uh, I think the confidence is just building and building and I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, continue to lower that PB mark on his next few starts. Well Robbo had the chance to speak with Joshua Ralph 
after his triumph. I know one day uh, you know, it'll uh, come to an end, but I'm hoping just to keep um, going onwards and upwards. And um, this season, um, I'm not really sure what I can do, so I'm, I'm hoping just to keep keep this trend going and, and see what happens. You're a, a man that's, that loves his athletics and track and field, and do you feel destined to one day break Ralph Dobell's uh, national record? Well, I'm not going to put my hand up yet. It's, it's, it's my it's only my third third 800, so I'm still I'm still learning. Um, so I've I've got a lot more to learn until I can get into into to Jeff Rice's cast in that sense. Joshua Ralph speaking there now. Robbo, I've saved the most important question until last. Did the Tartan Couch make it back from Perth all in one piece? Look, it was touch and go, mate. But uh, <laughs> yes, safe, it has safely returned, and uh, we're just working on getting a few uh, updates to it, and we'll get it down to Sydney to the Sydney Olympic Park Athletic Centre, ready for March 15th, Saturday night, for the Sydney Track Classic. And I should also mention, before that, we'll be at the uh, Junior National Championships in the week leading up to that. So that's going to be a huge week uh, for the Tartan Tartan Couch. Well, we'll be speaking more about the Junior Nationals in next week's program. And, Robbo, it'll be great to have another chat with you next week. Look forward to it, Luke. Cheers. On ABC Grandstand Digital, this is The Bell Lab with Luke Pentony. We heard earlier from LaShawn Merritt speaking at the Perth Track Classic. Well, another Olympic and world champion, Felix Sanchez, also competed last Saturday night, although his fifth placing and time of 52.75 did not indicate the class of one of the greatest 400 metres hurdlers in the history of the event. Sanchez, representing the Dominican Republic, collected Olympic gold medals eight years apart, having first won in Athens in 2004 before stunning the track and field world with his victory in London in 2012. The 36-year-old appeared on National Grandstand at the weekend, so we're going to play a part of that interview where he explains to Peter Walsh that not defending his Olympic crown in Beijing in 2008 provided the motivation for his triumph in London? Well, I think if I would have won in Beijing, I probably would have retired by now. But what's keep, kept me going all these years, I mean, the first four years, well, after Sydney, I was so disappointed and, and I was motivated to, to win uh, the next Olympics. And so I had four years pushing me. And then after Athens, I won. And then I had a string about three or four years where I was always injured calf, Achilles, heel. Then I was motivated for about four or five years just to prove that I still could do it. And then after a few years of up and down, I mean, I kept making finals, but I was just coming up short slight mistakes in 05 i hurt my hamstring in the in the of the first hurdle in 07 i got came up short got silver in 09 in berlin i smashed into the first hurdle and 2011 in daegu i made a, a technical error ended up fourth and then 2012 i got it all right i won 43 races in a row you were successful at 48.10. Felix, how dare you run so fast at 35? I don't know, man. It's, it's, uh, it's, just, it's quite a bumpy road. And uh, obviously, it's not, it's, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. The, the, the most difficult thing was just mentally coming back off of injury and, and stumbling back into injury and then just 
second-guessing yourself and your body because it's inevitable. The body's going to fail you eventually. You can't, we can't compete at a high level forever. And it's just about this final little tricks, you know. I mean, before I used to do a lot of mileage, six, three to six miles um, before workouts. And then it got to the point where I couldn't handle that mileage. So now I, I have a, a road bike and I, and, I, and I cycle 20, 30 miles. I do that. I change my warm-up. I change my approach to the first hurdle. I just had to make a lot of changes to transition and, and be able to continue to compete with these younger guys. On ABC Grandstand Digital, this is The Bell Lap with Luke Pentany. Well, worldwide, how to best stage a high-performance track and field meet is a major topic of debate in light of the fierce competition to win the hearts and minds of spectators as well as television audiences. The Hunter Track Classic is one such meet that is looking to leave its imprint and having only been first held in 2010, it has already become a part of the National Athletic Series and has consistently drawn healthy crowds at the Hunter Sports Centre in Glendale, attracting funding as well as a high calibre of athletes has been essential to the success of the Hunter Track Classic. And when I caught up with its founder and organiser Scott Westcott, he began by explaining how important its inclusion on the national circuit has been to its growing reputation. Well, it gives it credibility, um, particularly you know, interstate and international athletes when it's a part of a national series. It also means that, you know, all the performances um, at the meet, you know, go, go towards international, national qualifiers and, and national rankings. Um, it also is a little bit of an injection in terms of prize money as well, which is also um, nice for the athletes to have. Um, you know, they don't all get it, but, you know, it, it's there anyway. And, just provides a little bit more motivation. But I think probably the biggest thing was just the status that comes being labelled a national series event, both you know with the athletes and also um, spectators and, and, and friends of the meet. Now, given the success of the Hunter Track Classic, do you feel there is scope to hold high-performance meets in other regional areas, obviously providing there are suitable facilities? Oh, definitely. I I mean, we don't get every single athlete um, that is going to be running throughout the season at the Hunter. I mean, we get you know, a, a good splattering of high-quality athletes in the fields, but what it also does is it gives us an opportunity to showcase some of our developing athletes from the Hunter, um, and we can pick, put them up against some top-quality competition. So, you know, I'm, I'm provide the opportunity give a few wild cards out, as it were, to local athletes to go and measure themselves against the best in the country. And a couple of years later, you know, it's people like that, that, you know, they're competing at that level because they get the opportunity. And I think we're a small country and we do need to be providing more of those opportunities. And we do have a lot of regional facilities that have great tracks, uh, such as, yeah, Geelong and, um, you know, Gold Coast, for instance. There's just a couple that could probably host a pretty good high-quality meet. Now, track and field meets worldwide, they're faced with the challenge of being more spectator-friendly, and if there was a criticism of one-day meets in decades gone by, is, is that they were often drawn out affairs with big gaps between events. Now, the Hunter 
Track Classic is conducted over about a three-hour time frame. Is this the ideal format to, to use so as to keep the interest of spectators? Uh, yeah, definitely. And that was always part of what we wanted to achieve was to make it a spectator-friendly event. And the athletes understand that, and I think it, it's been an education process for them to be not so precious. We, we pile a few of them into... Um, a, a limousine before some of the events and we drive the limousine around the track and get them out and, you know, they step out onto red carpet. So, you know, if it was Olympic final, you wouldn't be asking, you know, eight girls who are about to run an Olympic 400-metre final to, to jump in a car together. But that's what we ask them to do because, you know, they understand that we're selling their sport and, and if we can do a good job of that, there's more opportunities for them. Now, live streaming of track and field meets, that's growing in popularity, especially with the presence of social media. How important has streaming been for the Hunter Track Classic? And do you see this as being the ideal platform, considering how competitive it has become in, in the sporting market, to secure live or, or delayed TV coverage? Yeah, look, this is the way athletics needs to go. And um, we are a minority sport. Um, people generally become interested at major championships, but other than that, you know, we'll continue to exist just with a, minority, a smaller audience. But the people who follow athletics, are um, they're passionate and um, they're also unable to get to all the meets because they're splattered around the country and around the globe. So I think live streaming is something that we need to take more and more seriously. And the Hunter's been instrumental in that, the live stream that we had this year um, hosted by, I know, your, your good mate, uh, Dave Robinson. He, you know, Dave now got a contract to live stream the other national tour meets um, around the country as well. So it's, it's, it's something that started with the Hunter and now, yeah, Athletics Australia have seen the value in it as well and, and particularly in keeping some personalities that can develop relationships with the athletes. So I think we're on the right track. We're not there yet, but um, hopefully we'll will develop that, that live stream capability. Well, Scott, well done so far on the success of the Hunter Track Classic, and thanks for speaking to the Bell Lab. No worries. Thank you, Luke. On ABC Grandstand Digital, this is the Bell Lab with Luke Bentony. We introduced the Grandstand Rewind segment on last week's program where we listened back to great moments in track and field as broadcasts on the ABC and with Herbert Elliott having celebrated his 75th birthday on Tuesday, we wanted to reflect on the career of one of the legends of the sport. Elliott, when aged just 20, was already known worldwide prior to the British Empire and Commonwealth Games in 1958, but it was in Cardiff that he served notice on the international stage when he won the 880 yards and the mile. The 880 yards saw him edge out England's Brian Hewson with a time of 149.32 to 149.47. And as heard on the ABC back in 1958, he is the final lap of Elliot's victory. Fanning out now into five abreast as they come up to the bell. And the time at the bell was very slow indeed. It was 58.3 seconds. And Elliot immediately takes over the lead. Wonders whether he's spoiled his chances by that slow first lap. But it's now Elliot with Houston behind him. And Smith of New Zealand third. Rawson fourth. Farrell fifth. Locke sixth. And Sullivan of Rhodesia last. 
and looks to me as if Elliot is managing to hold his lead, running very powerfully indeed around the last bend, and it's 70 yards to go, and Herb Elliott of Australia leading by a foot from Brian Houston. And Brian Houston's giving it absolutely everything he's got. He's coming level, but he can't quite make it. And Herb Elliott wins from Brian Houston. Elliot's preferred event at the Empire Games was the mile, and with a time of 3.59.03, he led home an Australian clean sweep with Merv Lincoln and Elby Thomas claiming the minor medals. And absolutely fantastic running over this last lap by Herb Elliott, the youngest runner in the field, the Empire 880 yards champion, now nine yards ahead of Merv Lincoln of Australia, Gordon Peary of England running very gamely in third position, and Albert Thomas in fourth position. The battle going on between Beresford and Halberg, and it's only 40 yards to go, and Herb Elliott is coming up to the finish. He's got 30 yards to go, and the time is 3 minutes 56, 57, 58, 59, and a four-minute mile. Only a month later, in August, Elliot stamped his class on both the mile and the 1,500 metres, breaking the world record in the former with a performance of 3.54.5 in a very famous race in Dublin. He collected the 1,500 metres world record in Gothenburg when he stopped the clock in 3 minutes 36. And here is a snippet of an interview that went to air back in Australia following his historic display in Sweden. Well, Mr. Elliot, what do you think about this field of runners? Was one of the best you've been in? I'd, un I'd say that it's undoubtedly the best collection of athletes that I've run ever run in. It was one of those races where you couldn't pick who was going to be the main opposition. Uh, all the athletes that were racing were top class, and I'd say it's probably one of the highest class 1500 metre fields that's ever set foot on a track together. You won. Did you expect it before yourself that you had to win and beat the world record? I was hoping that I'd win. I, I never take to the track with uh, uh, any special time in mind. I, I just sort of go out to run my best. Some nights they're good times and some nights they're not so good. Tonight it was a good time. But I didn't go out with the express purpose of breaking a world record or anything like that at all. But you uh, felt that you were in very good form. Well, you never can tell. <laughs> can you give us an idea about your <laughs> training? How much are you training in a day or a week? Well, it varies at different times of the year. Um, I train 11 months of the year. A one-month rest is just about due now. I'm having that when I go back to Australia. For about five months of the year, I train an average of two to two and a half hours a day. And then after that, about an average of half an hour a day, I would say. Now, the highlight of Elliot's career was his Olympic gold medal in the 1960 Rome Games, where he broke his own world record with a time of 3 minutes 35.6. And as heard on the ABC, here are the closing stages. Into the straight he goes, into the back straight, and Elliot is striding away from the field, making the thing look ridiculously and ludicrously easy, keeping his form absolutely perfectly. He's got a lead of about eight or nine yards, and Yazi of France has come past Rossovergi is going to be in second place. Elliot has got 200 yards to go, he's got a lead of 10 yards over Yazi of France, Rossovergi third, and the Romanian in fourth place. And here comes Vaughan again, and here comes Elliot into the straight, 100 yards to go, and this magnificent Australian not flinching in any way, still keeping his form, punching with his arms, looking easy and graceful. A lead of 15 yards over Yazi of France, and Elliot has 10 yards to go. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now, and Elliot has won. 
from Yalti and Rosavoji three, Vaughn four, Samos five, and one of the two Americans, it would be Bolton in sixth place. Elliott's world marks stood until 1967 when it was broken by American Jim Ryan and his win in Rome was his 44th straight in either the 1500 or mile prior to retiring at the age of just 22. So a happy birthday to Herb Elliott, a true great of Australian track and field. Now before we go, a reminder, you can listen to the Bell app on Grandstand Digital or streamed at abc.net.au slash grandstand each Friday. And that is the same address where you can find the podcast of the program as well as the broadcast schedule. Catch you again next week.